with this powerful, let's say, plane or train moving along. It was fully loaded, and now they switch the engines. Yes, but let's also extend this metaphor, right? Because let's say it was a train. However, there was another train running on parallel tracks for more than a year and a half, right? So proof of stake was not switched on. It was running. It was just kind of running, if you will, in a test mode or, you know, not a test mode, right? But it was not actually doing much until finally it was switched on and used for as a consensus mechanism, replacing the proof of work in Ethereum. Recently, Ethereum, the number two by market cap, at least at the time, possibly number one by other metrics, but that's a different conversation. Uh, cryptocurrency network Ethereum merged from a proof of work to a proof of stake model, representing a significant change in basically what secures the network many, many years into its existence. And of course, crypto Twitter and other places are full of people saying this is the greatest achievement ever in the history of crypto or other otherwise very positive, sometimes even hyperbolically positive things. And then there's the other side, which tends to be a little bit the, the Bitcoin crowd, the maximalist crowd, I should say specifically, tends to be very critical of this saying, oh, all these kinds of terrible things are happening or going to happen and it's just useless and a bunch of criticisms. And so um, I decided to try to get a little bit more, um, try to find a little bit of the nuance between the two. And so to that effect, I chatted with Dmitry Buterin, the father of the famous founder of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin, who, and also a, um, a crypto advocate of some renown himself. And to try to bounce a couple of these questions and concerns over the shift, kind of see where we ended up in the middle of it. So hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey everyone, I have the fantastic pleasure of speaking with the one and only Dmitry Buterin today. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going well. Yeah, well, thanks for joining me. Um, do you want to really quick introduce everyone to kind of who you are and what you do, et cetera? Not really. If you want to go ahead. <laughs> yes. Well, um, basically, you know, um, as I'm the... just a guy, basically, right. That's, that's really important. People really yes. like to create all this kind of like, oh, this is the guy he did this. He's that just mm -hmm. another human being. You know, like I'm full of opinions and ideas and, you know, we will talk today about a bunch of complicated stuff. I'll give you my stories about that and they are not better or worse than any other stories. Yeah, well, that's a that's a nice, humble and enlightened way of kind of reviewing the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, over the last, you know, I can't remember how many years, but um, in the cryptocurrency space, which is one of the more, I guess, exciting developments in, you know, human technology these days. Um, it's kind of, been, there's been a big narrative of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And one of the things that has been talked about for a very long time with Ethereum was this move to mm -hmm. proof of stake, to a different consensus yes. model. And mm -hmm. basically, um, it's a lot of Ethereum has been kind of defined by this idea for a long time, which is kind of interesting because almost in its entire history used proof of work mining. And now finally this event called the merge happened and yeah. now uh, Ethereum has switched to proof of stake and yeah, it's, it's a worth, 
now that it's real, now that it's not just, oh, an idea, let's figure this out in the future. Now that's real, now that's yes. happened, um, it's probably worth um, going over exactly all the implications of that, you know? And, uh, so really, really quick, um, how, in your opinion, has the merge gone so far? I think it went really well. I'm not, I haven't heard of any issues at all. It actually was surprisingly smooth. And uh, that's testament to how many cycles of testing and problems uh, were figured out uh, along the way, right? Because mm -hmm. Ethereum ecosystem is, uh, is quite diverse. There are, there's a whole bunch of different clients, right? And issue, they had a whole bunch of synchronization issues and whatnot. That's, uh, that's quite common when you have one specification, right? But then you have a bunch of different teams built into that. So I think that given the enormous complexity of everything that that went quite well. Uh, on the other hand, uh, sometimes people use this analogy, well, it's like, you know, there was this powerful, let's say, plane or train moving along, it was fully loaded. And now they switch the engines. Yes, but let's also extend this metaphor, right? Because let's say it was a train on the track. So heavily loaded, you know, operating, constantly offloading stuff, loading new transactions, whatnot. However, there was another train running on parallel tracks for more than a year and a half, right? So proof of stake mm -hmm. was not switched on. It was running. It was just kind of running, if you will, in a test mode or, you know, not a test mode, right? But it was not actually doing much until finally it was switched on and used for as a consensus mechanism, replacing the proof of work in Ethereum. Yeah, and so a lot of people sort of um, taken this idea for granted, sort of that this is this has been the way it is all all along. But um, what was the reason why proof of stake was chosen in your quick summary? Well, even in the original Ethereum white paper, Vitalik mm -hmm. mentioned that uh, Ethereum will likely switch to proof of stake. And that's been their focus of the community, right? Um, and the way I look at this is that like Bitcoin is a wonderful, amazing invention. Like any other invention that stands on top of many other inventions before that and so on and so on, right? And Ethereum then is an invention that my analogy for that is like, you know, uh, Ethereum is like adding JavaScript to HTML. And then immediately from yeah. good old plain web pages, we have dynamic, very complicated web pages full of all kinds of stuff. Uh, but anyways, right, so technologies evolve and uh, proof of work was amazing invention. It worked well, but there are obviously issues with that. And even Hal Finney, who to my, you know, that would be my best guess that he's actually Satoshi, but at the very least, he's one of their earliest and uh, supporters of Bitcoin and, you know, people who knew it uh, really deeply. I think it was in 2009 already that he mentioned that uh, it's time to look into their uh, energy spend uh, implications of uh, uh, Bitcoin network, because really when we invent something, we don't really, we have no idea how widely it will be used. And I think that their adoption and usage of Bitcoin exceeded uh, any kind of expectation the investor, inventor might have had, if any, like, for example, looking at Ethereum, I know that Vitalik had no clue how big 
and uh, widespread Ethereum would be. So anyways, right? So that was a very natural uh, aspect of uh, in the Ethereum community. There's a lot of uh, rigor in approaching like, okay, this is a system that has certain goals and uh, it has certain parameters, uh, characteristics, if you will. And one of them was its energy consumption. And uh, uh, obviously for most, I mean, in our modern world, energy is a big deal. And uh, so that was a very important aspect of uh, Ethereum that lots of people worked on for many, many years. Yeah, so uh, proof of stake was kind of a concept for quite a long time before the merge and many, many chains totally. use it. Now, what, yeah. what was the logic behind starting with proof of work and then maintaining it for so many years and then switching to proof of stake rather than starting at something that could possibly be superior just out of the gate? As far as I understand, uh, and again, like you have to know that I'm not any kind of mm -hmm. expert in this space. I'm a, a curious amateur. So uh, proof of stake, as it stood back in uh, 2013, when uh, Vitaly came up with their concept of Ethereum, well, it was a concept and it was uh, basically something to play with, but it was not robust, tested and developed. And if you look at the proof of stake algorithm that were eventually implemented uh, in Ethereum, they are very different from a lot of the early ideas about proof of stake, because we're talking about something very, very complicated. Uh, this is a very complex algorithm with lots of moving parts. And I have actually watched over their last eight years, uh, Ethereum community had been working on proof of stake. There were like so many hopes and like, oh, maybe we'll launch it in a couple of years, right? And here's this mm -hmm. very promising area of research. And then, oh, but look at this problem. Oh, this is a dead end. You have to start, you know, from scratch. So there are lots and lots of that. Uh, and there were a lot of delays and obviously lots of people ridiculing Ethereum for the like, oh, you guys, you know, stupid, you will never launch that. But, you know, I've been in software development uh, pretty much all of my life. And I know that when we're talking about complex algorithms, which are still at this conceptual stage, they evolve so quickly. It's it's hard, you know, like zero knowledge proofs, for example, right? They've taken the world by the storm in the last five years, 10 years ago, it was just a theoretical idea. And the same was proof of stake. So it was a, a concept. Uh, it was uh, basically a toy back then. And then all of this years, time been taken to thoroughly research it and, you know, game through that and see what kind of uh, issues might happen and deal with them. Yeah, it's so uh, basically, it was not really a thought to start Ethereum, maybe delay it a little bit to be able to start it the correct way. And because if you think about it, there's there's two different, I guess, paths here, right? You could start as proof of work, figure out how to implement proof of stake, but then I'm sure a lot of the work and the complexity in implementing it is in the switching. And how do you change something that's already very well established yeah. to something else? And I, a lot of, you know, Ethereum competitors, if that is even a, a thing, uh, yeah. kind of have a, got the head start by just saying, well, we'll implement a proof of stake model right out the gate. We don't have to switch. And so they're mm -hmm. kind of, you know, kind of there already. So was it just too far of a, of a time window between having to delay it to be able to start, you know, the right way? 
Yeah, it was pretty unpredictable, right? And it was pretty clear too that there was a, a humongous interest in Ethereum and there was a lot of momentum, a bunch of people who gathered together to actually create it. So at that point, it's like, again, in mm. software engineers, uh, generally people who love new technologies, right? But one thing that I've learned over the years is that bleeding edge technologies can be also very, very risky, right? So mm. if uh, if there is a project with a real purpose and goals, then I personally over the years learned to be much more conservative. So I'm kind of happy that they did not try to do that because uh, uh, Ethereum launch as such has been already delayed quite a bit against the original thinking and plans, whatever, right? For very different reasons, right? Just for mm -hmm. reasons trying to stay in a, away from any kind of potential problems with security laws. Yeah, so basically it was the conservative approach rather than kind of the, the groundbreaking approach to try to, to try it to make sure It was a combination of this, right? If you, if you look at the technology, it is totally groundbreaking, right? Because lots of people, they did not they did not believe that this is uh, possible to to do right and actually vitalik himself when he uh kind of described the concept initially he mentioned that he was expecting maybe somebody will point out obvious flaws on this concept to say that it's unworkable but that never happened actually the opposite happened a whole bunch of people uh uh said yeah, this is interesting, very ambitious, very complicated, but exciting. So let's do this, right? So it, it was, mm -hmm. it's always a, a, a combination of things, right? So I think like many other aspects, uh, they had to make a cut somewhere. So it was a combination of being very ambitious here, but then not trying to use a very unproven uh, consensus algorithm. Yeah, and so in a perfect world, if Ethereum were relaunched today from scratch, do you think it would be proof of, stake from the very start rhetorical questions are useless because yes. things always happen in the particular moment in the yeah. certain circumstances well, well there's a little kind of a there's a little nuance to that question because one of the things about uh proof of stake is you know to to super simplify things now obviously it's very much more nuanced than that but uh with proof of work you run a program and then you get the money. Like the, the the coin supply is emitted to people who, you know, run mining software and hardware. Uh, with proof of stake is emitted people who stake existing coins. So the only way in a pure proof of stake system to get more coins is from people who already have them. And so it might make a launch more complicated for to distribute the token, right? Because you have, right. let's just say, you start with the initial coins and then everyone has right. to go to them for mining. That could become yeah. quite a yeah. centralized system in that Yeah, case. I've seen quite quite a few mentions that people are saying that it's really, it was very, and actually I think Vitalik himself said that, that it was quite good for their foundation of Ethereum to be launched in proof of work because it provided for very broad distribution of coins. Yeah, and so do you think broadly that for other chains seeking to eventually be proof of work, it still would make sense to start as proof, I mean, proof of stake, it would still make sense to start as a mine coin for at least a certain period, a certain distribution period. It's not about, again, people like to latch on a specific thing like mm -hmm. proof of work, proof of stake, let's think bigger. It's really about mm -hmm. distribution of coins, right? If yeah. there are some other ways to ensure 
very broad distribution of coins, then that's important. That's an important aspect of launching any uh, blockchain system nowadays, right? Because I'm sure you've come across the metrics which show the average uh, concentration of power in various blockchains, and many, many of them outside of like Bitcoin and Ethereum, they are highly concentrated. It's a handful of insiders and they have huge concentration of coins. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, we'll just use this mm -hmm. algorithm, it'll do magic to distribute the coins. No, it's really about so many aspects of how do you launch it, you know, how exactly you do all of their things around that. Yeah, and so um, an interesting part of this whole um, transition is basically the security model or to a certain extent, the governance. And the, it's funny mm -hmm. talking about governance in crypto because governance means so many different things to so many people. But more importantly, yeah. I don't think anyone can agree on even for, for example, Bitcoin, who actually makes the decisions. Everyone's kind of, you know, has their own kind of thing. And of course, the truth is, I'm sure, across many things. But miners totally. basically in a proof of work network are the network. They're, you know, they secure it, they process transactions, they distribute the coin supply. They pretty much are the network to a certain extent. And- uh, It depends, right? Yes. Because, you know, developers are as well. Because look at mm -hmm. uh, either Ethpaw fork, which yeah. seems to be not really doing that great. Uh, mm -hmm. And I would say that one of the reasons for that is that it's really a network uh, driven by miners, but there are very few other kinds of participants in that system. So mm. it's like, okay, what's their vision? What's the roadmap? Like, who is going to build this? No, we'll just mine it. Yeah, that's that's not enough to build sustainable blockchain system these days. Yeah, and so that's kind of the. Um, it seems like in the old school Bitcoin mindset of like the miners sort of decide everything, and then mm. you switch you can switch to completely cut them out of the equation and it seems like that kind of cast doubt on that original assumption of course um so has there ever been any concern of basically the one of the most if not the most vital elements of the ethereum ecosystem some of the people who've invested a lot of time and effort and capital and research into running this specific network that now they just they kind of get obsoleted. So is it, I guess there's two questions to that. Do you, first off, do you have any concern of like, whatever the word might mean, like fairness of like, these people invested all this stuff and now they, they have to go elsewhere to continue. They're kind of kicked out of Ethereum to a certain extent. And then the other thing is, how does that governor governance decision well, get Let's start, let's at? take them one by one, yes. right? Like yes. uh, the first question, I don't really see what the concerns could be, right? Because everybody uh, doing in, uh, joining any kind of mining operation, they should have at least some idea of what they're signing up for, right? And everybody mm -hmm. in the Ethereum community knew that proof of stake is where we're going, right? So over the years, the people who invested into mining and ran the mining operation, they made really good money. And that's really all about this because this algorithm, consensus algorithm, it's a game. Like the system wants to be wants its transactions to be processed and it wants people to honestly process them. And then it wants to reward them and spend as little on that as possible because, you know, the cost has to be passed on to the users, to other users of the system. So mm. like for me, like, why would they have any problem with that? It's like, it's for me, it's a, uh, uh, 
capitalism in its best and purest, uh, sincere form, no mm -hmm. coercion. You want to participate in the money? Sure, go ahead. But this are their, uh, this is their timeline. And actually, in fact, over the years, I've been asked a number of people, oh, should I start mining, whatnot? And I actually expected proof of stake switch happens sooner. So my answer was always like, hey, guys, I don't think that's a good idea because this is kind of where Ethereum is going, right? But people who did, and they knew what they signed up for. Yeah, so it was because it was made very clear since the very beginning yeah. that this would be a temporary thing. It's it's kind of like that's what you sign up for. So things might yeah. be... and not just made clear at the beginning, right? But all the conferences, all like, if you look at the activity in the Ethereum community, that's mm -hmm. been constantly discussed. And there was a lot of uh, effort and focus specifically on that, right? So it was not like, hey, you should have read the small font. No, it's like, right? And you find it all the time. Yeah, that's an interesting contrast with, for example, Zcash, where, I mean, as I mentioned before, Ethereum has been associated with proof of stake, even though it's been almost entirely yeah. proof of work for its entire existence. Whereas I never remember, off the top of my head at least, hearing that kind of commitment from Zcash. It seemed like Zcash would be a mine coin forever. And then now they're very strongly talking about a proof of stake model, like switching over there. Of course. And so that might be yeah. a little bit of a different equation of you're like, hey, I invested everything in mining here and I didn't expect it. But maybe, as you point out, it's the well, free market. But you know you what, play like, by whatever rules are in front of you. Sure. And, yeah. It's like if you're doing this, you're really engaging in a very complicated economic activity, right? So you should mm -hmm. have at least an idea of how risky and complex that activity is. So in mm -hmm. case of Zcash, sure, like uh, I think it's important for them to have this open discussion, discuss what's fair, develop the roadmap and whatnot. And I'm pretty, and knowing Zuko, I'm pretty sure this is how they are going about this. It's not, it's not about somebody deciding, yeah, we're doing this, like, and fuck those guys. No. Everybody should have their voice heard. Yeah. And so, you know, speaking of voice, so with Bitcoin, with we always hear like the, the longest chain, the most accumulated proof of work decides. And when you have like a hash war, and we didn't really see that much of a hash war with Bitcoin, but between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, we kind of saw a competition for who was going to win out before it ended up splitting. And that's sort of viewed as like the end the end road of proof of work governance is this is like if you can't decide anything else this is how you settle who's the who's the longest chain who's the true chain ish and someone else can kind of fork off so mm -hmm. in ethereum how did the governance system work to decide how to move to proof of work when to do that i mean obviously expectations were set since the beginning of the product the project that's a, a different story but as far as let's say that you know Vitalik decided, you know what, this was a mistake. We need to go back to proof of work. Obviously, this is a stupid hypothetical, but you know, that's what it is. Right. And, but then the rest of the Ethereum community said, no, 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 we need to stay. How does that governance system work as far as um, arriving upon big changes like this? Like Ethereum is an open source community, right? So it's really uh, the self-emergent structure with all the different development teams and it's not like vitalik is some kind of ceo sitting there and mm -hmm. you know making marching orders he's more like a thinker he travels the world he speaks at conferences he does some thinking he writes blog posts then he shares them and some of his ideas some people like and they eventually get 
uh, implemented and some of his ideas people hate and say Vitalik you stupid you know asshole mm -hmm. how can you talk about ENS fees or stuff like that yeah, so that's what it's really <laughs> uh, yeah it, it's a very open self-emergent process it's like there are this uh, regular uh, phone calls developers can developer phone calls there are conferences and it's constantly being discussed and then uh, somehow people come up with their consensus, right? Like Ethereum community already implemented one huge shift, EAP 1559, right? That was mm -hmm. two years ago, one year ago, <laughs> time flies, yeah. right? But that's Probably pretty too. much how it happened, right? It, it, it was not like somebody just decided and said, yeah, we're doing this. It was like, oh, we should do this. Oh, but what about this problem? So here's our client team and we're having trouble, you know, iron all the bugs let's postpone it right it's it's ongoing conversation co constantly happening in public and people negotiating and then you know saying okay uh it's you can in, in general it's uh, reminds me of uh this idea of uh, holocratic organizations that's kind of non-hierarchical type of organizations mm -hmm. that are becoming more and more common in the corporate world as well yeah and so just it's kind of like a general sense of where everyone in the community, whether it's node operators, whether yeah. it's, you know, maybe miners, uh, as a side note, have, has there been much communication from like the mining community as far as like all this kind of stuff? We always used to hear about the miners, like there's some abstract uh, creature down in the dungeons working away. But as far mm. as like, you know, there's you know, real people running and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, as far as, again, I'm not really actively plugged into that. It's mm -hmm. not something that I do. Like, it's not like what I follow. I follow very superficially, but from what I've seen, there are lots of discussions and miners were, like, including, for example, a conversation with EAP1559, right? Because also that was making a big effect on miners, right? So miners mm -hmm. were voicing their concerns and there were discussions about this and that. So, and then sometimes, again, like, there are miners, there are, all kinds of people and some of them then eventually agree and say hey it looks like this makes sense and some people disagree and then they start playing their own fork or whatever they want to do is that right this is freedom everybody does what they think is the best for them yeah it's a very um very interesting kind of you know in a going from a hierarchical world to then just sort of like an open world where everyone just sort of everyone kind of collaborates together and then kind of see what happens yeah yeah i yeah, yeah and i i feel strongly for decentralized you know this loosely coupled uh, dynamically emerging structures because i've seen you know how lousy those centralized structures how messed up they were in the soviet union where i grew up how messed mm -hmm. up they are in the current russia and in in general look at all those centralized yeah, the current us too <laughs> yeah in canada for sure uh so one of the bigger one of the concerns that always would crop up during um, for the proof of work world, as far as security and decentralization, is always mining mm -hmm. centralization. Where, yeah, it, to a certain extent, you have some large pools com comprising a, a significant percentage of the hash rate. Certain countries, like when most of mining was done in China, for example, there was a lot of concerns about that. Now you have. Right. Obviously, you you switch systems. That group of 
entities, maybe not any individuals, but a group of entities that was in charge of securing the network is now not in charge of securing the network. And then you have a new one. And is there any concern about who comprises that pool of people now concerning the network? Just like there might've been concerns or, you know, about mining centralization in certain countries or something. Is there any, um, is there any concern that, you know, obviously everything was working great before because, you know, Ethereum continued to be quite successful, but now with like a new group of custodians over the security model, um, is there any, has there been much concern about, well, we don't know if it's, if it's distributed well enough or like, oh, too many of these single entities. Of course. Too many of course. That That's what I love about Ethereum is that there are always concerns and they constantly being discussed constantly being discussed and all kinds of metrics. And then there are people who are passionate about different aspects of the system, about decentralization, this and that. And then they run like all kinds of analysis and stats. Like recently I, I saw this pretty interesting comparison. I actually, uh, Ethereum with proof of stake and then Bitcoin with the current proof of work. There was like a comparison of the blocks that are produced by uh, certain entities uh, in the uh, uh, their con consolidated stakers, like somebody like Coinbase and Lido in Ethereum case, mm -hmm. or mining pools, big miners and Bitcoin. And the numbers were very similar in terms of kind of uh, that percentage of blocks produced by big entities versus the small ones. So it's uh, somewhat very similar. But I do know that in, in Ethereum, there are lots of people who are extremely passionate about uh, uh, changing that much further, right? And even in the current setup, when people, for example, talk about something like uh, Lido staking, right? The Lido staking is, is not like one big system in one country. No, it's a whole bunch of uh, uh, systems in a whole bunch of countries. So it's all by itself already way more decentralized than people can imagine. And I think that now with proof of stake, because their uh, requirements to hardware are gone, then uh, one of the important aspects of uh, what what's the vision for Ethereum is that uh, uh, light clients, right? So people can do their validation and participate in the system from their phones and stuff like that. So this is definitely a huge aspect of this. And I see a lot of the activity, people doing all kinds of experimentation, doing running validators on uh, Pi, those Pi mini microcomputers, mm -hmm. right? And doing all kinds of other experimentation. So yeah, there are, there are concerns. And I think with any and every living working computer system, there should be concerns because we can constantly look at it and uh, the world is extremely complex. And then we can see, oh, look at this parameter of this system. This is kind of where it's going. What can be done about this, right? And the Ethereum community is quite open to constantly looking at issues and uh, then addressing them. Yeah, what's your personal biggest concern as far as that? And obviously it doesn't mean it's an unaddressed concern, but just a concern. Concern? About what you mean? About the state of Ethereum and, for example, you know, risks such as, for example, node centralization or things like that. What's what's the kind of thing that I don't have any concerns about it. It's like mm -hmm. it's not how I think about the world because the world is always mm -hmm. in a fluid flowing state, right? And Ethereum, like, it's definitely proof of stake is a huge milestone. I'm very happy that it happened, and uh, it's by far not their last step stage on Ethereum roadmap or all of those other aspects that I'm sure you've come across. So it's mm -hmm. a fluid moving system. So I would say what gives me most 
peace and confidence that I can see, oh, it's not like mm. here's Vitalik and a bunch of other people in the garage running some kind of master node that trying to come up with a way to do this and then push up the price. You know what? Vitalik doesn't care about Ethereum price. And most people, mm. they don't understand it, right? But And most people in the Ethereum community, they don't really care. I mean, they do care as uh, for some reasons, but not for its intrinsic value, if you will. So Ethereum community is very diverse and robust. And that's what gives me confidence is when I look at all of those client teams, like, you know, doing all of this cool stuff, they're not doing this because they received some central directives. Like, so Ethereum ecosystem, to me, it feels very much uh, very robust and very alive, like a real organic system. Because organic systems, they are not centralized. The human being is not centralized. Mm -hmm. It's not like our brain controls our heart and everything. And, uh, no, it's a self-emergent system. And, and, and uh, for me, uh, Ethereum community is uh, very much like that. There are many different players from the foundation to different client teams to all kinds of people just doing cool research or people just uh, writing post and saying this is an important concern so this should be addressed and this sucks and it's like yeah if something sucks mm -hmm. let's talk about this let's address this yeah so what would what are you most excited about on the future roadmap of ethereum i mean obviously there's a million options obviously yeah, it's all yeah. good but but personally what's the one thing that draws your attention uh, again i'm i'm an amateur but i'm really excited about their switch to vertical trace it's it looks like there's a lot of really cool stuff going to uh, be enabled through that. Uh, their move towards sharding, uh, then a mm -hmm. bunch of other stuff related to uh, tweaking the blockchain so that they're, the they selected, the chosen approach to scaling mm -hmm. for Ethereum is through its level twos. So there's a bunch of improvements that uh, further make it uh, um, more efficient for their Ethereum mainnet to uh, uh, vary with all those uh, different uh, uh, layer tools. Uh, personally, I guess maybe I have to say that I, I'm i looking forward to features related to privacy because for me, privacy is a fundamental uh, human uh, right and concern. And uh, in the current public blockchains, that's uh, uh, that's not there. It's not well implemented in, in most cases. Mm -hmm. So I think this is something for the crypto community still to address. And uh, as you can imagine, the governments will be fighting that tooth and nail with all kinds of uh, real and bogus concerns. But uh, for me personally, that's probably one of the biggest uh, uh, important directions for Ethereum specifically to evolve and address. Yeah, is that a specific kind of like roadmap item, sort of like proof of stake where people had, a, had an, a decent idea of what it would look like and where we're going, or is it more of an open question of like, we have to answer it's this more, concern? It's more like a whole area because kind of we have to look at all of those moving pieces uh, um, in conjunction to each other and then like, okay, privacy to what degree and what kind of usage cases and, you know, and, you know, privacy on the main net uh, that transfers, you know, within the specific level two or between level two stuff. Like there are lots of questions. So I think it's like, and I know there are lots of people passionate about this area. So it's not like one to do item. It's more like a cloud of different initiatives and thoughts and research. And, and right now it's still pretty early. 
mm-hmm. but uh, I know that uh, it will be moving forward. Yeah. So if people want to follow you for your insights and wisdom and passion and all the other good things that we experienced <laughs> here today, uh, where would you direct people? I mean, uh, my my website is a good starting point, www.butcherin.com. So basically my last mm-hmm. name, .com is a start. And uh, I post a bunch of stuff on Twitter. Um, yeah, and if that resonates with some people and things shift, sometimes I'm more immersed into all things blockchain and NFTs. Uh, last seven months, I've been also deeply immersed in this whole crazy invasion of Ukraine by Russia and, you know, yeah, um, quite passionately following that for a whole bunch of reasons, including the fact that the hometown, my city where I grew up uh, and in a city called Grozny, and that city was liberated by Russia basically to ruins already many years ago and kind of now they're doing the same stuff and, and worse to Ukraine. So anyways, uh, so I I write about all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's about philosophy, about blockchains, just general silliness. Um, mm. War in Ukraine, whatever comes to my mind. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks very much for spending the time with me today. This has been an enlightening chat. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, uh, I kind of want to end this whole for me, it's not a debate, you know, proof of work, proof of state. Mm-hmm. For me, it's always important for us to think deeper. What are we trying to achieve with those algorithms, right? And mm-hmm. what are the important uh, factors to consider? What are the trade-offs? And how can we, like, move toward, you know, uh, improving the system with as little trade-offs as possible? And algorithm, they will always evolve, right? Like, this is how computer systems work. This is... This is how humans work. You know, we invent a steam engine, then we invent a combustion engine, then we invent uh, an electrical engine. So, like, I have no doubt that at some point proof of stake will be superseded by something else. Who knows by what? Mm-hmm. But this is an unstoppable evolution of technologies, and this is unstoppable evolution and movement of life. Yeah, that's a very healthy perspective, and I think that that's also one that will stand the test of time. Well, thanks very much for being on. I hope you have a good one, huh? Thank you, you too.